Welcome to Grace Church's podcast. The message you are about to hear was recorded live during our Sunday service. Sermon notes can be found on our app available for both Apple and Android phones. Search Grace Church 417 in your app store and follow along. And now for our message. So this morning we're going to continue in the series of messages about Jesus being the Lord of all. And, um, and I just, I, last week we did a little bit of foundation building, a little groundwork to get started with this series. And she, uh, she, I got Sharon still in my thinking here, hold on. And the Lord uh, is leading us into this series and it's, it's kind of a little bit uncomfortable. There's certain things that are happening that we're going to be talking about in the weeks ahead that are a little unsettling. Matter of fact, even last week I mentioned like if you don't like the word master, talk about Jesus being our master and that that's some of us that's very normal and normative and others that's just a little bit off-putting and if we're talking about this idea that Jesus as the Lord of all has the power of deciding over our lives the power of deciding over all of our lives when you think about the implications of that word of that phrase that can be a little bit unsettling because it's not really about us it's about him and that can make us feel a little bit like, I'm not sure I, I'm okay with that. I want you to know that if you feel a little bit churned up or a little unsettled around these ideas that we're just starting to dive into, that's okay. It's okay because the Lord corrects and rebukes and chastens those that he loves. So if you're feeling a little bit of correction, you're feeling a little bit of unsettledness, that just proves that you belong to him. Amen? Turn to the person next to you and just say, you belong to him. So when you're feeling corrected, it's okay. It's a good thing. This morning, we're going we're gonna to take a big step forward and we're going to talk about, I'm going to share about what is, a, what is an all too common narrative in the life of a Christian. And we're going to use John chapter 6 to kind of... Um, follow these, this, this trajectory of the narrative. We're going to use John 6, that chapter, to look at what happens. And the reason this is, this is a tough one, by the way, the book of John is, a, is like a kind of an up book. It's kind of a, I mean, you read John, in John chapter 2, you got Jesus changing the water into wine at a wedding. I mean, it's a party. John chapter 3, you have that phenomenal conversation between Nicodemus, you know, the member of the Sanhedrin, and Jesus. Really wonderful stuff. John chapter 4, you have Jesus meeting, what's her name, at the well? Good job. You get an extra hot dog at lunch. Yeah, uh, (laughs) Wendy, the lady at the well, she has this miraculous conversion because Jesus ministers to her there. John chapter 5, you have the the paralytic who's been, he's been paralyzed for 38 years and Jesus heals him. It's just one amazing story after another up to chapter 6. Chapter 6 is kind of a bummer. It starts off really hot, but man, it just gets cool quickly in terms of the heaviness of what Jesus does and what is talked about in the text. This all-too-common story, I want to use John chapter 6 to talk about the state of the church in the West, in particular in the United States, Western Europe, Canada. Um, this, This trajectory of story, of narrative from John 6 is way too often what people experience when they come to Jesus. And so would you take and let's take a moment and just pray together and ask God to open our minds to understand the word like he did with his disciples in Luke chapter 24. 
Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you right now and we ask that you would help us to understand the scriptures. Just like Jesus helped his disciples, we ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would make the scriptures come alive to us, that we would understand them and that they would transform our very existences. And we pray this in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, would you say amen? Amen. amen. Awesome. So John chapter 6, it is a, uh, it's a really helpful text. It's not really about lordship, but it is a helpful text for understanding Lordship for understanding this idea that, that Jesus has the power of deciding over our lives. So because I'm pastoral, I'm going to give you three chunks of Scripture. John 6 is really long. We can't get through all that in a single message. So we're going to just look at three chunks of Scripture. And each chunk of Scripture will have two words associated with it. And because I'm a pastor, each of those words will begin with the same letter. All right? So the first one is John chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. And it is miracles and momentum. So when you write that down, if you're a writer down or person, go ahead and write that down. Let me read this to you out of the ESV this morning. It says, Lifting up his eyes then and seeing a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered, What uh, 200 denarii would not, of worth of bread would not be enough for each one to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Verse 10. Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in that place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, and so also the fish, as much as they wanted. Would you say those five words with me? As much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and they filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving that they were about to come and to take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew to the mountain by himself. Know the story, you've probably heard it many, many times, you've read it many, many times. Jesus multiplies five barley loaves and two fish into enough food to feed 5,000 men. I'm certain that you've heard someone comment that this could have been as many as ten or 15,000 people if you count women and children, maybe even more. So Jesus did this creative miracle, this amazing miracle, where a little bit turned into much to feed everybody that was there that day. Amazing. The reason I had you say in verse 11 that they, they, what were the five words? As much as they wanted was that this wasn't a multiplication of meagerness. He, you know, what Philip says, even if we had 200 denarii, we wouldn't be able to give everybody a bite. This wasn't a miracle where everybody got a, everybody got a bite. This was a miracle where everybody got to eat their fill. They had as much as they wanted. They were able to really, really be satisfied. Probably some of them were like, you know, us or eating too much. They just, because there was so much plenty. And there was so much left over. And the people, when they see this happen, when they eat this miraculous meal, they start, they're not, these, these are Jews predominantly, they are not, not aware of the implications of what they've just seen. 
And so they began to say, this could be the prophet. And that, that word, it's written as capitals probably in your Bible. It's referring to Deuteronomy chapter 18 where Moses talked about another would come after him. And his own, one would come after him who would be like him. So whether the people thought that Jesus was Messiah, the Christ, or whether they thought that he was the prophet that Moses talked about, they put it all together and they're like, wow, this guy could be our king. And Jesus being Jesus, by the way, it would be a fun story. It would be a fun study sometime too to see all the times that Jesus does this. Jesus being Jesus reads the crowd and is like, I'm just going to disappear. He does this all the time. They're going to push him to the edge of the cliff, right? Next thing you know, he walks away. They're ready to, they're ready to crucify him and he just somehow gets out of it. He, he's, Jesus is always in control of what's going on. Don't ever think that he's not. It's like he, they don't even, he doesn't even get crucified against us. Well, he lays his life down. But when they start to come at him, he's just like, he does that you know, ninja thing or something. And next thing you know, they're like, where's Jesus? I mean, not really like a ninja, but you know what I mean? He's just able to get out of the situation and he goes up on the mountain. And the people are left looking for him because they were ready to force the issue. You're going to be our king. This is the positive part of the chapter. Let's look at a little less positive part of the chapter. Go to the middle part and go to verse 47. Second chunk. First chunk Miracles, momentum, the crowd's in it, everything is happening. You know, you can just feel it. The music's going. No, not really. But I mean, that's what it feels like. It's like hype, and they're like, yes, let's do this. Then they get to the middle. In the middle part, Jesus gives them a reality check. This actually happens like four or five times through the center section of the chapter. There's these conversations that take place, and they're all not what the people who got fed on the first day are expecting. So for these two, we have two C words, and it is challenges and confusion. So we went from miracles and momentum to now we got challenges and confusion. Starting in verse 47, this is what it says. Truly, truly, it's Jesus speaking to the crowd. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. If you read the intervening verses that we skipped over, the next day the people, they look for Jesus, they can't find him. They realize that the disciples and Jesus, he walked on the water, but they all went to the other side of the lake. And so it says in the text, they get in boats and they go find him. He's in Capernaum now, and they're, they're, they're seeking him, and they're coming him, and they're pressing him, still with this, this attitude, this mindset, he's going to be our king. They think that they're ready for a king, but what they're really ready for is to eat some more. They want some more free food. And so Jesus begins to confront this reality by challenging them, by saying things that are hard to understand, things that are hard to accept, things like, you know, eternal life comes from believing. Remember, these are a bunch of Jews that are steeped in the law, steeped in the behaviors of righteousness. He says things like, I am the bread of life. He says, this bread from heaven, it'll keep you from dying because your ancestors ate bread and they're all dead. You had miraculous bread yesterday, just like Moses gave manna to those in the wilderness, but both of those groups of people are going to die unless they eat the bread of life. I love verse 51. Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, meaning himself, he will live forever. And the bread I give for the life of the world is my flesh. 
This is a very different feeling and tone than the beginning of the chapter. Think back, begin the chapter. Philip, how are we going to feed them all? I don't know, Lord. We couldn't even give everybody a bite if we had all this money. Andrew says, hey, how about I got five loaves? Which is kind of cool, by the way. We need to give any props for that. Because he was like, this is all we got. But he brought what he had and gave it to Jesus. Jesus does this incredible miracle. And the crowd goes wild, to use our words. And they just begin to get excited about what could take place. What, is, what are we on the cusp of right here? Jesus does the Jesus thing. He disappears. The next day they're talking to him. And he begins to push back. You just want to eat again. You just want to have your stomach full. You're not really interested in the kingdom that I am bringing. It's a shift in tone. They want more free food, and they want him to get rid of Caesar. That is the agenda of the crowd. They come to him, and they're, you know, he starts saying this stuff, and it's, you can almost feel, it doesn't say it so much in the text, but you can almost feel them being like, what are you talking about? It was like, can't we go back to yesterday? It was so clear yesterday. You fed us. We were happy. We would follow you. Now you're saying all this crazy stuff. What's up with that? You're the living bread that comes down from heaven. The bread that you give is your flesh. You get eternal life by believing. Ah, turn to the person next to you and go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what the, we, we need to not be hard on these people. We have, the full tr- we have the full canon of scripture. We understand much more than they did. And still when we read this, it's like, oh, that's tough. That's tough. These are legitimate questions. Jesus Jesus is saying things that are different than the day before. They are hard to understand. They are difficult to accept. They are confusing. They are unsettling. Because Jesus wanted them to understand. He wanted the crowd to understand that following him meant much more than eating free meals and deposing Caesar so that Rome can be kicked out. That following him was a whole lot more than they had bargained for. Let's look at the third section, okay? So jump down in your Bible to verse 60. So we were in 5 to 15, then 47 to 51. Now we're at 60. We're at the end of the chapter. And here's our words. You will fill those in. It is now response and rejection. Response and rejection. Starting in verse 60. When many of the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that the disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Verse 63, this is one worth underlining if you're an underliner person. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Verse 64, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Verse 65, and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter, verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. The end of this chapter, I read you one confrontational conversation, but there are many, and some of them are even more confusing and more difficult to understand. At the end of the chapter, the disciples are struggling. And we're not just talking about the 12, we're talking about the larger group. That larger group is a crowd, but in it are disciples, in addition to the 12, in addition to the apostles. 
and they're struggling with the words, and Jesus, being Jesus, just challenges this. Well, what if, wait till you see something really difficult to perceive. Wait till you see me ascending. Wait till you see what's coming, and just in just a little bit of time, you're going to see what I, what the kingdom that I'm talking about, and how this whole thing works. You're going to see it. What that's difficult. This isn't even difficult. What I'm telling you by comparison. And then Jesus says something that helps us understand. He says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken are spirit and life. These are, these are not literal things. He wasn't asking them to eat his flesh in the literal sense. But the spirit would help them to understand that, that we must take Christ into us as we do when we, when we observe the Lord's Supper together, when we take communion. He's speaking spiritually for spiritual ears and not just talking to people who have empty stomachs. And there's a division that is taking place between them. 66, not a coincidence, that's the verse number, right? John 6, 66, one of the most negative verses in Scripture. Many of his disciples turn and walk away from him at that point. And I think Jesus, with a little bit of exasperation, turns to Peter, turns to the disciples like, you guys going to leave me too? Are you out? And, and Peter, who gets such a bad rap because he does so many things poorly in the Gospels, nails this one. I love this. Lord, to whom would we go? Where on earth would we go? You, you are the one. You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe that you are the Holy One. I think Jesus winked at Peter right after that. Jesus went, good job. You guys all right this morning? I'm a little quiet. Turn to the person next. Would you wink at the person next to you? Feel the, the weight. Maybe it's just the weight of the narrative. It is a heavy chapter. It starts off really good. Everybody's eating, everybody's happy, everybody's excited. Conversation, 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 conversation. Final conversation, many disciples turn away and don't follow him anymore. It's kind of sobering, kind of sad. He goes from being the most popular guy in Israel. Could have been the next president, call it that. The next king, he's right there. He's, it's right within his hands, which is the dangerous part for him. Right within his hands. And he says, no, absolutely not. That's not what this is about. This is what it's about. And people say, oh, I didn't sign up for that. I wanted a new government and free food. That's what I signed up for. I'm out. And they walk away. As the teaching gets harder and more confrontational, the crowd starts to dissipate and reconsider its commitment. It's a sobering passage of scripture. But here's the thing. It is a little bit like the church. It's a little bit like us. Because here's the thing. It's, I, won't, I said it's easy. It's not really easy. But it's easier to follow Jesus when you're only focused on all of the great teachings and the fun things that we're getting to do and the gifts that he's giving us. And bless God, my life is perfect. It's kind of fun to follow Jesus then. That's like the beginning part of the chapter. This is the life. This is amazing. And many times when people first come to Christ, they go through a little period of that. They call it the honeymoon period or whatever. But they just go through, they're like, yes, yes. Why are all these Christians unhappy? This is the best thing in the world. That's like the beginning part of the chapter. But when, when we learn that it's not just about free bread and, 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 and teaching, that there's actually some cost involved, that following the Lord demands more. It demands us being willing to give up what we really want, which is bread and a king, to instead trust what the master says, it's not as fun. It's harder. That's what the middle and the end of the chapter are like, John chapter 6. 
Following Jesus as Lord, if you want to write this down, following Jesus as Lord requires releasing our sense of what should happen and intentionally choosing to trust beyond our understanding. If you and I have to understand everything that the Lord is doing to be fulfilled and happy in this walk, we will be perennially unhappy. We will be constantly disappointed. You ever think, I wish I knew what was coming in the future, then I could prepare for it. I used to say foolish things like that. The reality is, I don't want to know what's coming. It's better when I don't know. And I can just live kind of ignorance is bliss in the moment of things are good right now because I can't handle being God. I want God to be God. And we have to release our sense, our, 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 our deep need at times of wanting to know what's going to happen in the future and just trust him. And when we do that, when those kinds of hard things are said to, that, to us and we have to make that decision, there are others who, who fall away that the multitude gets thinned out. We need to be careful of crowds. I'm not against crowds. By all means, may this be a crowd every week. I want that to happen. But we have to be careful with crowds because Jesus... Jesus was constantly pushing the crowds away. Crowds get a life of their own. Crowds get momentum and agendas, and they want to overtake. Now, when it's a crowd like Acts chapter 2, amen, right? When it's the Spirit of God doing something just absolutely sovereign and powerful. But just to get people gathered is not necessarily an evidence of a successful ministry. Jesus could never write a book after John chapter 6, How to Build a Ministry. Jesus' book after John chapter 6 would be how to make your ministry much smaller quickly. I mean, that's what it would be. Like, feed everybody. So like, yes, this is the greatest church in the world. And then, you know, a day later, he's got like five people. I mean, that's a terrible, that's a terrible ministry philosophy. But it was built on what was true, and it was built on the real kingdom, not on something false, not on something that was temporary. People walked away from him. The crowd walked away. But even according to John 6, 66, even disciples turned and left him and didn't follow. We must accept this reality. Write this down if you would this morning. More people want to follow the God who provides free bread than the Lord who is the bread of life. It's easier to follow the God that provides the free bread. It's harder to follow the one that says, I am the bread. Now, John 6 specifically is not about lordship. It's not, it, 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 it kind, of, um, kind of leans into lordship, but it doesn't talk specifically about that. We'll be talking more specifically about lordship next week. But you kind of get the feel. This is what happens to many people. And I want to share with you as we close this morning, I want to share with you a little bit of my story, how, how I am kind of like John 6, 66, or 6, chapter 6, down to 66, but I have a redemptive conclusion to the story but this is my story this is what happened to me and I apologize in advance if you've heard bits and pieces of this because I have told bits and pieces of my story over the couple years that we've been here but my my our family growing up was a church-going family in that we went to church on occasion and we went to the church in our town on occasion when my parents split up my mother's way of dealing with my mother's way of dealing with her hurt was to go to church and to find Jesus. And she got super serious about the Lord. Like, you know, some people are extra spiritual. That was my mom. She went like all in. Oh, there's something at the church. Well, that means by extension, we should be at it. So we were there all the time. My sister and I were drugged to church all the time. 
all the time. All the time. <laughs> I just want you to understand it was right. Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night. We were there all the time. And as a kid, I liked it because the people there were very nice. And they went out of their way to help my mom with a new single mom raising her children. They went out of their way to invest in us. I am a product of a church being the body of Christ. I am a pastor and a leader and a, and a husband and a dad in the way that I am because of my mother's commitment to Jesus and that church's investment in me, period. But I accepted the Lord when I was probably about 10 at that church and I liked being with them. But when I started to become a teenager and just kind of you know that Jesus talks about the narrow road and the wide path? Well, I was on the narrow road. It was, I looked just like this. I'm just this height. And I'm 10 years old. And I'm walking down the narrow path. And I'm doing the, and I'm trying, to, I'm trying to do this stuff. I'm trying to, you know, I'm learning. And we, it was a good church. We taught good things. Good people there. But I'm doing this. And there's the wide path is over there. And I'm like, dang, that looks like the fun stuff that I'm not allowed to do. And so somewhere between 10 and, and the end of high school, I just start drifting and dabbling and looking. And at some point, I can't tell you when it was, I decided I want that path. And so though I'm continuing to be around people who love the Lord and who love me, I at some point decided uh, I understand what's being asked of me in this narrow path, this cost of discipleship, this cost of being a follower of Jesus, making him Lord of all. I don't want to do that. I want to be Lord of my own life. And so I get on this other path and I begin. For me, that looked like sexual sin. It looked like substance abuse. And mostly, more than anything, it looked like filling up my life to the brim with things that dishonored the Lord. I mean, I was just all about whatever was not on the narrow path. That's what I wanted. Here's something I want you to understand. I never stopped believing that Jesus was a Savior. I didn't even stop believing that he was my Savior. I, I can remember arguing with my 11th grade English teacher about a, a hot topic of that day. And I was, I was quoting the scripture and telling her that she was wrong. I, was, I knew what was right. I knew what was wrong in my brain, in my belief. But man, I wanted to be over on this path so bad. I wanted to be the Lord. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. I was very duplicitous. I was two people at the same time. Very broken. I stopped acknowledging Jesus as Lord. I took back the power of deciding from him. And what that looked like for me was my life got incrementally darker and darker and more shame-filled and more unhappy. At some point, my mother came to me. My mom is super wise. And she said, this is a good parenting, this is a parenting moment, ready? If you're a parent, remember this one. She said to me at one point, she said, I'm not going to tell you what to do anymore. And I thought, yes, finally. I don't have to hide the, the wide path. I can just live it outright, you know. She said, I have turned you over to the Lord. And I thought, fantastic, you know, whatever. <laughs> whatever you want to call it, I'm just free to do what I want to do. And within three months, I'm like, Jesus, take me back. It was almost like my mom was, got out of the way and the Lord said, thank you, Sharon, and just stepped in and started working. 
in my rebellion, in that end of high school, I, I got in an argument with my parents. I ended up joining the military, which was the worst thing and the best thing that could have happened to me all at the same time because it was the worst because in my stupidity and rebellion, I made a decision that was long-reaching because I was temporarily upset. I'll show them. I'll do what I want. And I committed myself to six years of something in, in a huff. And I was 17. My mother gladly signed for me. She was like, oh, yeah, by all means. Want an extra year? Take him, you know? Just go for it. But it was the best thing because I got in a place where I couldn't get away. And he could just work on me. There was no distraction. There was no wide path there. There was, well, military, one path. <laughs> Narrow. And he began to work in my life. And, and not long after I left, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not a tough guy. I admit to you freely, I'm not a tough guy. Within two weeks of being gone, I literally was laying in a bunk saying, Jesus, please take me back. I'm so sorry. And I recommitted my life to the Lord at that point. And I prayed to be forgiven and cleansed and healed. But I also specifically remember saying, you are the Lord of my life. And whatever you say, that's what I'm doing. I'm abandoning my dreams, my hopes, my future. Whatever it is that I thought I wanted, that is all off now. And what I want is what you want. I just don't want to have to be living in the bondage of trying to run my own life because we're terrible at it. Friends, we are terrible at running our own lives. And we weren't designed to run our own lives. So I let go and said, Lord, just if you'll take me, I want to be free of this regret and shame and I want to know who you are and I want to know who I am because I had no clue. And I can remember specifically that particular evening being radically transformed and made into a different person. And I went from this. Here's the deal. Here's the summary. I went from trying to squeeze God into my life where he would fit to pouring my whole life into him. Because embracing the lordship of Jesus requires that we fit our lives into him, not that we try to figure out a way to fit him into our lives. You've seen those t-shirts like have baseball or football or something. It'll say like baseball is life. The rest is just details. It's a foolish shirt, but the reality is it's true about Jesus. Jesus is life. Jesus is Lord. The rest is just details. When he's in the center, then everything else works right. I believe that I was born again as a little kid. But I did not experience the richness and the power and the glory of serving God until I intentionally surrendered every single part of my life and yielded it to him. We're going to close now. And I just want you to think about what Peter said. Verse 68. Jesus says, you all going to leave too? And Peter says, Lord, to whom would we go? Think about that. You have the words of eternal life. Now, I don't know everybody's journey in here. I don't know where you're at, what you've experienced, but I want to say this to you. We need regular times where we reconnect with his lordship in our lives. And so at the end of every one of these services during this series, I'm going to ask you like I did last week, if, you just, if you're not responding, if you could quietly leave because we want to be able to respond here at the altar. And I want to invite you to come forward in just a moment. If you want to just spend some time at the altar praying, if something that I have said in my story or what's in John 6 has stirred up something in you and you're thinking, you know what, I'm not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. I'm not fully surrendered. Then I want you to have the opportunity to be able to come up and kneel down and spend some time with the Lord at this place. And it's also possible 
in a Christian culture like the church in the United States, it is very possible that you have been a person who has understood the salvation that comes from the gospel, right? Jesus died and was buried and resurrected and ascended into heaven so that we might trust him for our salvation, trust him for our goodness because we're not good. You can understand that piece of the gospel and miss the fact that he is the Lord, the one with the power of deciding over everything that comes after that. See, as Americans, we want the first, but we're not sure about the second. But as I said last week, the two pieces cannot be separated. And so you may have an understanding of Jesus as Savior, and this is all like hitting you like a wave with him being Lord. That's okay, but, but deal with it. Respond to him. Make him the Lord of your life. As I said last week, if he's the Lord, he's definitely Savior. But don't try to parse it out. You may find yourself saying, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to sow seeds of doubt, but you may find yourself saying, I don't even know if I'm saved. I don't even know if I know the Lord. You're in the best place ever. Deal with it. Come forward. Let us pray. Be in a good place. Walk away knowing that while I can't necessarily navigate all the details of what it means for Jesus to be Lord of every part of my life yet, I want him to be that very thing. And I'm trusting him to be that very thing. So when, after we pray and after I bless you, I, I just want you to come forward. We'll leave you alone unless you want someone to pray with you. We'll be here. But, but do business with God. Don't just walk out and be like, ah, whatever, that was, you know, was interesting or was whatever. Don't, don't do that. Listen to the Holy Spirit even speaking to you right now saying, come and be with the Lord. Come and spend time with him. Would you stand with me, please? Father, in the name of Jesus, we're just so, so very grateful that you give us pictures of things like in John 6 where we can see human nature in action. I'm all in as long as it's easy and fun and there's plenty of food. But as soon as there's challenge, as soon as there's struggle, as soon as there's, there's, there's things that don't make sense or that are hard to accept, Lord, our tendency is to pull back and move on. And Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name for this congregation, for this group of people, for the folks that are watching online, I pray right now that we would not pull back, but that we would press forward. And that we would say like Peter, Lord, where would we go? We don't understand. He didn't understand, but you, we know this. You're the one. You're the only one. And we're not going to pull back. We're going to press in. And we're going to surrender and learn to surrender and learn to walk in humility before you, just giving you every last part of our lives. Lord, teach us to do that. Help us to do that. Lord, set us on fire as we yield to you. God, do something in us. Revolutionize us as we no longer try to rule our own lives while recognizing you as Savior. Instead, may we submit to your Lordship and trust that you know better than we do exactly what needs to happen. We love you, Lord. Do your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you extend your hands in front of you? I want to bless you in the name of the Lord before you are excused. Grace Church family, friends, visitors, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. We trust that this teaching made a difference in your life. If you'd like more information about giving your life to Jesus, email us at info at grace417.com.
That's I-N-F-O at grace417.com. We pray you have a blessed day.